got to go through metal detectors a little bit the process. And uh, Pastor Ivy came through, and I, I think I got this right. This is very clear in my mind. If it didn't happen, I apologize. But I think he just went, I don't understand what the big deal is. And like lifted his shirt up because you had a pocket knife. Yeah. I, I knew there was something, excuse my language, pretty badass about a dude that would take a pocket knife onto the temple mount or to the, to the western wall past security and not think that it was a big deal. And I discovered that was just the beginning, excuse me again, of my friend's badassery. <laughs> and I, I, we got to know each other over a run, which I still talk about. When you run uphill and you need a break, and you're humble enough to say, hey, can I have a breather? And the dude you're running with says, sure, and drops down and just starts doing push-ups while you're just sucking air. You know you've met an unusual fellow. When he was scoping during our run for a set of pull-up bars so he could take a break and do pull-ups, I knew there was something going on. But what I want to tell you tonight is you're going you're to encounter a man, you're going to get to meet a man who God has done something powerful in his spirit. And there's a temptation to say that this dude has got some stuff together and he's so badass or whatever, I can't have that. But what I, wanna, I want you to know about this man is as I've gotten to know him, it is not about that for him. What I have discovered about him is that his heart is one of the most tender hearts for God that I've ever met. His understanding of grace and the grace of God is not just an understanding that he has, but it's one that he imparts to people. I have been affected by you in powerful ways for the kingdom. The opportunities that you have given me have been powerful. And my life and my family and my church in this region has been, you don't know, has been already changed by the stuff that God has done in him and through him. And so it's my pleasure to, to introduce to you tonight a man who's going to challenge you to understand who God has made you to be. And if you think for a minute that what he's talking about is not for you, you have come to the wrong place with the wrong attitude. Come on. So I want you tonight to start to access what God's going to say over your life by honoring him as he comes. If you're from this house, you know what that means. When we honor somebody, we're, 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 we're accessing what God has given them. And what they have, we can have as we honor what God has done in them. If you're not right. from this house, you just got the lesson. So would you honor with all that God has in you, not for a man, but for what God wants to do in you through this man so you can receive it, Pastor Ivy Marsh, as he comes now to share God's word with us. Come on. Come on. God's worth it. I love you, man. Have fun. Well, good evening, gentlemen. How is everybody? Yeah, you guys, you guys have a seat. So um, a little law in the universe that whatever you honor moves in your direction and whatever you dishonor, dishonor moves away from you. Whatever you honor, you have access to, and whatever you dishonor, you are denied access to. And so honor is actually a, a life core value of mine. So I want to begin tonight by, um, I don't know if she's in here or can hear me, but first and foremost, honoring my helpmate fit for me. Her name is Benet. She's maybe out there or she's around somewhere. Um, because the truth is, apart from her, I would not be half the guy that I am. Um, so if you're in here and you're married, you may amen that and then go home and use that to uh, help your evening later. Um, no, really, like... Um, and then the, the second person I want to honor is my 
my um, baby girl. She's 15. So if there's teenage boys in here and you look at her, I will slap you. <clears throat> um, hey, we teach laying on of hands in the church, right? I'm just trying to help heal you. Okay, so she's, she's here. And then uh, um, my eldest son, his name is Garrett, and my daughter, Love, they were not able to make the trip. We do try to travel as a family and do ministry together. But my middle son, who has a, a bye week from his college career right now, is with me. His name is Joshua. Um, he's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then uh, back home where we, we also do I Am For, my, my director, Wes Chenault, is with us. He'll be teaching tomorrow. Um, I could not do what I do inside this men's ministry without him. So wherever you're at, Wes, I honor you, sir. And then uh, one of my campus pastors who goes by the lovely name of Wojo, drove seven hours to be here with all of you men. I love you, Wojo, wherever you are in the auditorium. Um, I really do love you. I love how long we've done life together. And then as well as, as what Josh said, I do have to honor Bishop Stearns for mostly for putting up with me in Israel and smuggling edged weapons into the temple, which is the place you need them. So <laughs> thank you. And I do, let me just say this, Bishop, I honor you for who you are, not only in this region, but in the world. It is an honor to do life with you. Gentlemen, if you would please stand to honor the Bishop, please, tonight. Um, because he's well-deserving of the honor. I love you, sir. And because this is his house, if you're of this house, you know the uh, gift, or I hope you know the gift that you have in Pastor Josh Hamlin. He's an amazing man of God who has decided, who has decided to come alongside God to come against the pussification of manhood in this region. And I so appreciate it. So if you would stand and honor the pastor of this house, please. I love you, Josh Hamlin. You are one of my best friends on the earth. I love you so much. Thank you for doing this. Come on, guys. Pastor Josh, I love you, sir. Really do. Can I say pussification? I did. When you said badassery, I thought, well, that's my go lot. So um, I'm going to have a super, super honest conversation with you. I will, I will go ahead and give you a heads up. At the end of this, um, I want God to perform a circumcision on you. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't want you to come here and be okay with religion because there's basically two kinds of men or people in the earth. There's those who are very balanced looking. Um, they dress really nice, they, they seem to have it all together, and the only experience they ever have with God is, is in their quiet time. And I want to tell you, men, if your experience with God is mostly quiet, it's probably not God you're following. He is a God that's into movement, He is a God that's into transformation, He is a God that when He decided to send Holy Spirit into the earth, it said it came with a loud noise. And I think there is an enemy afoot that wants to rob you of your voice. You, you don't have to be loud to be commanding, but you do need to learn to speak up when a voice is needed. And then there's a second group of people who, um, who are what I like to call emotionally unbalanced, who seek these spiritual experiences and Maybe for you, somebody laid hands on you, fell on the floor, or you came to a worship service and you ran around the room, or... Maybe you got a prayer language, 
but you're the same person you were before that experience. And if you have an experience like that and you're the same person after that experience, I'm just going to tell you your experience was false. It was emotional. I love what Pastor Josh said. Hey, we didn't, we didn't all come to get hyped up. We came, I hope, to be transformed. I know at salvation, the Bible says that God performs a circumcision of not a physical, which I am very thankful for, but a spiritual circumcision. But every now and then, I think that that needs to happen time and time again, where we allow these things to embrace us and embed themselves in us. And we need to come to an environment as men where we can say to God, our Father, I need you to cut some stuff out of me because I don't know how to get it out. I don't know how to overcome the thing that keeps overcoming me all the time, every day, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my job life, in my Christian walk. And so I really want you to be okay with it at the end of my conversation with you. If God wants to literally cut some stuff out, that you would say yes. That you would be willing to let God have whatever he asked for. And if it meant the very belief system that you operate from where you believed once you were right, but now you found out you were wrong, would you be willing to lay that down? Would you be willing to let God have that and transform you from the inside out? So we're going we're gonna to start with a couple of verses that define us as men. The first one is in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, everybody say Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Look at the guy next to you and say, you are a child of God. We say that, and we say that a lot, and maybe you say it more times than not, but I wonder, is it, is it really seeping into a place where you actually believe it? And it's changed what you watch on TV. It's changed what you read. It changed how you talk to your wife. It changed how you raise your children. It changed how you perform at work. Or is it just something we say? Because if it's just something we say, then I'm telling you, you are a man who needs to be circumcised tonight. There's something in the way that's growing faster than the word. And you need to have it eradicated. The next verse is Romans 8, 19, for the creation... All of creation, actually, the Bible says, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I want to challenge you. Look at the guy next to you and say, you are, in fact, an adopted son of God. The Bible says we're co-heirs with Jesus. But again, I want to challenge you. Do you believe that? And if so, how has that transformed your life? Like, we have been bought with a price. I am not my own. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this fleshly body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me, who loved me and died for me. How has that changed your life? How has that changed your functioning? Has it caused you to become Christian? Because if it has caused you to become Christian, I'm just going to tell you you're missing the mark. I have a great disdain for United States 21st century Christianity. Because nowhere does Jesus say Christianity is like. He says the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom is like. I've come to set up the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. kingdom. 
And what you need to begin to understand is you are sons of God adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ and you now, not will, but you now live in a kingdom, not a philosophy. Not an idea, not a cool ritual, not precepts to fix your life or fix your marriage, but to be transformed that you would walk on this earth, not of this earth, but of a heavenly kingdom. He is not just your God, he is your king. He's not just your daddy, he's your savior. He is in fact the dynamite of heaven. That's what Holy Spirit is. I just, anybody ever seen dynamite go off? I was in the military, I have. It's pretty impressive that something so small can blow the door off of anything I want, turn tanks upside down, and the Holy Spirit is known in a very pure translation as the dynamite of heaven. If you are a son of the living God adopted by Jesus, that's what's in you. There should be an explosion everywhere that you go. When you walk into your place of work, this should never be the same. When you walk into your home, it should never be the same. The dynamite of heaven, the son of the living God adopted through the blood of Jesus just walked into the room. Do you know what you are? The answer. If you don't like your current circumstances or your community, or let's just do this, this world, do you know who is the answer? You are. And the church says, no, it's Jesus. No, it's you, because God said, you are my plan to reconcile the world to Jesus. That's on you. That's not on, just on him. He came and cured it all and forgave us and bought us with a price. And now he says, I need you to go and in who you are, the dynamite of heaven, the adopted sons that I paid for so that you can go into the earth and rectify the problem. So why don't we? I think we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. So if you go to Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to kind of break this up. I'm from Alabama, so I'm going to learn you something. So you know, you know the story. Um, if you don't, I'll paraphrase it really quick. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. Eve gets in the conversation with the devil. She takes a bite of the apple. She gives some to her husband who's standing right there who never says a word. Adam eats it. Then sin enters the earth. Sin didn't enter the earth when Eve ate it. It entered when Adam didn't say anything and took spiritual advice from someone he should have been leading. Gentlemen, look at me. Once, once you have children, every spiritual attack that enters your life has nothing to do with you. And it wants to kill your lineage. And I watch men everywhere sacrifice their heritage, their legacy, their lineage over 15 minutes with a woman he doesn't know. Over 30 minutes on a computer screen. So you think the attack is about you and you actually believe your sin has no impact except on you. And the truth is the devil's coming at you because he wants to kill your son. The devil didn't come after Adam and Eve because he cared about Adam and Eve. He came because he cared about you. 
And he wanted sin to enter the earth so he could destroy everything that God had set up. He wanted to see the brothers kill each other. This is the first recorded, we're about to see the first recorded murder in all of creation. And you know where it started? It started with the man not saying anything. Can we just all for a second, just, just judge Adam right here. Let's just go, come on, man. Do you realize we'd all be naked if he'd have just said something? How many of you just love to sit in your chair naked and watch the football game? I mean, can you just imagine the freedom that we could have? It wouldn't be near as cold, but it wouldn't be near as hot. I could just be perfect. All because Adam couldn't have just said, hey, we're not doing that. How hard is that? And then when I get self-righteous on Adam, I'm reminded of the many times in my life. I don't say, hey, we're not doing that. So it leads up and you know the story of Cain and Abel and Cain's getting ready to do something dumb. So God, God enters the equation. Can I tell you, every time you get ready to do something dumb, God enters your space and speaks to you. And he says what he says, to, like, hey, 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 don't do that. How many of you argue with the Lord? And tell him how much it's a better idea if you do this. No, it's a good idea. Hey, don't, it's not going to work out like you think. So I want us to look at this verse of scripture and find ourselves in it. Not, not that we would murder somebody, but that when we find ourselves where the Bible says, when sin's crouching at your door, what do you do? So Genesis 4, 7, if you do well, this is where the, this is where the verse starts out. If you do well, which the Hebrew word that we get that phrase from says yatab. And it, it means do the right thing you know to do. So we read in English, hey, if you do well. In Hebrew, what it means is if you do the right thing you know to do, next line, will you not be accepted? The Hebrew word seath means will you not have dignity, authority, and majesty? If you do like the thing that you know is right to do, will you not have dignity, majesty, and authority? And if you do not do well, same phrase as above, if you don't do what you know is the right thing to do, sin is crouching at your door. Now this is, this is a two-word phrase in the Hebrew. It's pethak kahatakal, and it means a crouching beast at an opening you created, Josh. Don't we feel like sin just comes in and we don't even know it's there? But yet God is trying to get us to understand, no, 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 no. If you do the right thing that you know you should do, will you not have dignity, authority, and majesty? But yet there is a beast waiting to enter your space that you open the door for. It's desire, the Hebrew word means from an unusual world, is contrary to you. The Hebrew word means against the world you're from. 
It's from an unusual world against the world you're actually from and the world you're not utilizing. But you must rule. Here's what that little Hebrew word means. It's what's on my shirt. You must exercise authority, majesty, dignity, dominion, and rule over it. We read that, and we feel like most of the time in our life, man, this sin snuck up on me, and I, didn't, I made a mistake. But clearly, in the dialogue of what I believe is heaven's language in Hebrew, here's how it would read if we literally translated it just like those phrases said. So I'm going to read it to you the way that if you were Jewish, you would hear it, which is super important because this is where we get messed up in 21st century United States Christianity. We give ourselves a pass too often. And we take zero personal responsibility for the fact that the reason I'm in the predicament I'm in in my life most of the time is because of some crap I did. Some decisions I made. And all the time when we're on our way to that decision, Holy Spirit now is saying, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't you know if you do the right thing, you're going to be okay? So let me read it to you the way if you, were, if you were Jewish, this is how you would hear it. If you do the right thing, you know you should do. You will have dignity, authority, and majesty. But if you do not do the right thing you know to do, there is a crouching beast waiting at an opening you created from an unusual world coming against the world you're from that you're not utilizing. But you must exercise authority, majesty, dominion, and rule over it. The best gift I can give you in this opening conversation is take all your excuses from you. Because when Jesus hung on the cross and bled and died for me and you and then rose from the grave again, do you know what he took from us? Our excuses. I'm not, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm in the, I walk the same journey you do, but I can't get away from the fact that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you know what that is? It's Holy Spirit saying, hey, 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 Psst. don't do that. And what do we do? It's not my fault. It's her fault. If she'd act right, I'd be okay. It's not, it's like Pastor Josh's fault. He don't preach good enough. I just can't really get it. I'm trying. I don't understand. I'm trying to read the Bible. Get it. What, what, what's starting to happen? Well, most of the time we sit in, we sit in Bible studies and our only experience is like in our quiet time and then God's always quiet. And if it's, if it's like that, you're probably not following God, but we have some kind of experience and there's no transformation. Well, that experience was false. And we keep walking this and excusing ourselves away from the table that God has prepared for us. As a son. John 10, 10 says, there is an enemy. You have an enemy. Look at your neighbor and say, you got an enemy. Like, and you know this. How do you know when a son, a boy is born, as soon as he can start playing, he plays like cops and robbers. He plays like cowboys and Indians. I mean, maybe not so much the young guys of today, but like when I grew up, you got locked outside 
and you had to figure out something because you didn't have this. And listen, and I'm not digging on the, ne- on the next generation because the truth is, do you know who created that problem? We did. We didn't want to be fathers. We wanted the iPhone to raise them. We didn't want to father them. We wanted them to watch Teletubbies. And so now we fuss about the next generation and their inability to step into manhood was because we didn't model it and we didn't step into it with them and now we complain about it. Or we could all today decide as men of God to stop making excuses and begin to be fathers to the young men who need fathers. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said he came to to allow you to have life and have it to the full, and that's not when you go to heaven one day, that's right now. But we forget there's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does that mean? There's usually three types of men. Look at your neighbor and say, there's three of you. There's the sinfully passive guy. We're actually going to talk about this a lot Saturday night. You're really going to want to come back Saturday night and please, like, drag some dude with you to Saturday night. Really. He's a simply passive guy. He doesn't really engage. He doesn't really talk much. He kind of just hangs out. He doesn't really get fired up about much. He, he, doesn't, he, doesn't really, he just, just doesn't care. So his life is being stolen from him. Then there's the sinfully aggressive guy. Um, we have nicknames for these people I'll not use because it's just not nice words. Um, but you know the sinfully aggressive guy. He got a hot temper. He flies off the handle all the time. He's kind of a bully. Well, he is, in effect, killing his life. And then the next guy is the sinfully self-deprecating guy, which for some reason, like, the church celebrates. It's the guy that, like, oh, I ain't nobody. I ain't nothing. I'm a nobody from nowhere. I'm just, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. He never transfers into the resurrection message where you understand he's been transformed into a son of God, and he walks around and belittles himself all the time, thinks he can't do anything, never can have anything. He's sinfully self-deprecating. Well, here's what he's doing. He's destroying his life. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Look at your neighbor. So there's three of you. And every single one of you function in one of these three at some point in your life. Now, now some of you land on one more than the other. Some of you are just, you're just very aggressive and, and it's worked for you. Some of you are really passive and it's worked for you. Some of you are just like totally self-deprecating and it's worked for you. But you can bleed into one or the other. And what I want you to understand is if you keep doing that, the enemy will still kill and destroy your whole life. So you basically have four responsibilities that I want to tell you tonight. Just out of taking the excuse away and going, okay, if I don't have any excuse, what biblically is truly under my authority to do? And this is so simple. Here's, you're not, you're not going to walk away from this conversation and go, well, that was so enlightening. How many of you know as men, sometimes we just get reminded of some crap we should have been practicing all along? So really, all I'm going to do is remind you and just tell you, here's, here's what your ability to do. The first one is this. You can think what you want to think. Now, why is that important for us? Because how many times have you ever asked a guy, what are you thinking? And he went, none. <laughs> That's a problem, <laughs> right? How many times has your wife ever looked at you sitting in the chair watching something? Hey, babe, what are you thinking? What? 
caught you all off guard? You're not, you're, you feel like you're in trouble now, right? Because I should have been thinking something important. Like you feel all cornered and you're like, I don't, I may, I don't even want to answer this question. So what you need to know is you can think what you want to think. Why? Because we are called out of 2 Corinthians 10.5 to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When you're thinking nothing, you're actually thinking something. Which is nothing. That's very dangerous. It's when you become unaware of your surroundings. And you miss opportunities to engage in a conversation with your wife. You miss opportunities to raise your children. You miss opportunities to experience a lot of cool things. Why? Because you're thinking nothing. So what is your responsibility? You get to think what you want to think. So think on thoughts. How many know this verse? Think on thoughts that are pure, lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy. That's where your mind should stay all the time. And you know what? You have the power and the authority to do, the dignity, the majesty to do. You have the power to think whatever you want to think. Because right thoughts breed right actions. And you get to believe whatever you want to believe. Think about this. You get to think whatever you want to think. You get to believe whatever you want to believe. Hebrews 11 says, anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Why is it important that you know you can believe whatever you want to believe? Because you can't live differently than you believe. So he started this out. Do you really believe that you're a son of the living God? Because if you do, I got good news for you. Jesus said you would do greater things than him. Do you really believe that you have a dynamite in heaven in you? When's the, if that's true, if you believe you're a son of the living God, When's the last time you laid hands on your wife and prayed over her? Everybody asks me, what are you doing like marriage counseling? What's the sexiest thing I can do? Well, it ain't show up naked. That's what we want to get to, right? Well, the way you get there is being the spiritual leader of your home. And when your wife's having a bad day, you don't ignore her. You don't bully her. You don't withdraw from her. You lay hands on her, and you wash her in the word, and you pray over her. The reason you don't do that is because you don't believe that's your responsibility. You don't believe you're an actual son of God. You run from the responsibility that has been placed on your shoulders when Jesus said, it's finished, now I need you to do something. So you can think what you want to think. You can believe what you want to believe. You can have faith in what you want to have faith in. It says... It's impossible to please God without faith. I'm going to give you a statement. Faith. Everybody say faith. faith. Faith is the master key to the kingdom. I'll say it again. Faith. Everybody knows what a master key, right? Like we're all guys. You know what a master key is, right? What's the master key do? Opens every door. If I have the master key to this house, this church, I can go through whatever door I want to go through. And nothing can stop me. Faith is the master key in the kingdom. 
You can think what you want to think. You can believe what you want to believe. You can have faith in whatever you want to have faith in. But let me just tell you, that is what unlocks every door that your father wished you would walk through as a son. And you can meditate on whatever you want to meditate on. Has anybody here ever been worried? Like something just plagued your mind over like, oh my gosh. And just you thought on it and thought on it and thought on it. Anybody ever done that? Raise your hand if you've done that. Okay, so now that we know, everybody knows how to meditate. That's all it is. It's not like this weird thing where we burn incense and whatever. It's contemplation, it's thinking on Psalms 1, Psalms 19, Psalms 49, Psalms 104. Psalms 19 says it seven times. Psalms 143 all speak about meditating on God's word. Because when you meditate on God's word, here's what you also have the responsibility. You can put into practice whatever you want to put into practice. You can think on what you want like you can think on whatever you want to think on. You can believe whatever you want to believe. You can have faith in whatever you want to have faith in. You can meditate on whatever you want to meditate on. And it will allow you to put into practice whatever you want to put into practice. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Now, what he says later is offensive. But the man who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is a fool. I didn't say that. It's Jesus at heaven.com. Email him your issue. I'm not on you. I'm just saying, Jesus says, like, if you read the Bible and you don't put it into practice, you're like a fool. <laughs> How many of you ever looked at one of your buddies and went, you're an idiot? Like, you've ever done that? And we, 21st United States Christianity has made Jesus this little soft, dope-smoking hippie. He was the savior of the world, a carpenter. That doesn't mean he just worked with wood. It means he worked with stone. And he's coming back with a sword on a white horse and he's annihilating every person that does not know him. It does not mean that he's not tender, but it does mean if you're being an idiot, he doesn't mind looking at you going, you're an idiot. Look at his best friend and called him the devil. That's not nice. When's the last time you look at your best friend and went, you're like Satan, get behind me. And I think that's why, as men, we have allowed the erosion of manhood is because we're, not af- we're so afraid to speak the truth to our brother and say, you're, like, stupid. <laughs> no, re- like, if, you're, if your male buddy is about to have an affair, I give you permission in the name of Jesus to go, this is stupid. This is stupid. She's not even pretty. How many of you know guys who cheat on their wife always cheat with an ugly person? Nine times out of ten, I see it. I counsel people. And I'm listen, if you've had an affair in here, bless you in the name of Jesus. I'm not digging you. What I'm saying is, is don't repeat the same mistake. 
Maybe, maybe you didn't know better. Maybe you bought into the way of the world and it's, it's hump everything I can find because that's what manhood is defined by. Okay, well now you're in an environment where we can really learn what true biblical manhood is, so don't make the same mistake twice. But listen, if the guy knows better and he's going to do it, that's the definition of stupidity. If you know, Genesis 4, 7, if you know the right thing to do, don't you know if you do it, you'll walk with dignity, majesty, and authority? But if you don't do the right thing you know to do, don't you realize there's a beast crouching at your life, coming through a door you opened? And here's what you got to do. you got to shut the door. you got to shut the door on the sin you opened up to. This word meditate. In the Hebrew, it's phonetically pronounced D-A-W-G-A-W, which in the South spells doggone. <laughs> Kinda. If you're really Southern, that's what it is. You're like, doggone. Okay, so, but here's what it means. It means to, when, when a Jewish person would meditate on the word, they, they do it through groaning and like deep contemplation and this, they're so into the word that causes this physical like rocking response. And the reason they do that is because it's about letting the word become them, not learning it to fix a problem. And they're just, they're just in it. And they're, they're saying the scripture over and over and over and over again. And they're, they're meditating on it. And they do it several times a day. Why is this so important? Because in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. The word gave life to everything that was created and in his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And it's this rocking motion where it becomes me and I become it and I remain in him and he remains in me and therefore everything that I touch is blessed because I remain in him and he remains in me and therefore I will bear much fruit. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you'll make a million dollars. It means that you can actually respond in the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Why is, it, why is it failing us as men? Because oftentimes we read and we think and we believe and we meditate and we practice to fix a problem instead of perpetuate transformation. You have to run to the word so it becomes you and you become it. But there is a spirit a foot, a conspiracy against you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's coming after you. And I don't know where everybody is on the room and like the spirit world and maybe that freaks you out. So let me just tell you what this means. When you're under a spiritual attack, you're under the influence to think contrary to the kingdom. Like if I could just make it super practical and not weird, like there's some demon behind the, that's going to jump out and stab me. It, it's this attack that wants you to believe contrary to the kingdom. 
And that's what he was saying to Cain. Don't you know that there is something from an unusual world, a world that you're not from, that's trying to get you to buy into a process that's not going to end well? And so there's this spirit in the world that is attacking manhood and has been attacking manhood since the beginning. I call it the spirit of Ahab. And I want it to be cut out of you. And everybody in this room falls subject to thinking as Ahab thinks. The spirit of Ahab is designed to steal your God-given authority as a son of God. So here's some, here's some characteristics. You'll think that the things of God are trivial. That's nah, not that big a deal. I mean, I ain't got to read the Bible every day. Every other day's good. You just have this, this thought process that the things that God says are not that big a deal. Um, you don't really consider sin a big deal. Like, ah, I mean, I mean, I just look at porn once a week. I may only holler at my kids when they deserve it, even though the Bible says not to exasperate your children. Like, you don't really, you look at sin and you go, eh, it's not that big a deal. Um, they don't like to make decisions. You don't think this is a big deal. And if, when I say this, if you don't think it's a big deal, you might want to challenge yourself. When somebody asks you at the end of church, hey, where would you like to go to eat? And you go, I don't know. You think that's not a big deal, but the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And you probably have that same decision-making lack of authority in your home when they say, hey, what we should do? Oh, whatever y'all want to do. What do, you think, what do you think we should do about this? Oh, whatever you want to do. How do you think we should punish this child because they've been, oh, whatever you think. Views parenting is like being a child's best friend instead of the child's father. I just, I just want to play with my kids. I don't actually want to raise them. Doubt your own abilities. Hold your marriage in low esteem. Maybe you do that by making jokes about your wife or poking fun of your wife or marriage is not that big a deal. You don't hold it in high regard. Um, you're very wishy-washy. Avoid confrontation. This is my favorite. Does anybody in here have like a pet, feet, pet peeve? Anything that like makes your butt itch? Because this is mine. Men that will not raise hands in worship. That is not a personality problem. That is a spiritual attack. And it's called the spirit of Ahab, and it's stopping you from entering into the presence of God. God never asked us to worship him how we felt like it. Men that won't pray out loud. Men that won't read the Bible in front of people. These are all spiritual problems. They are not personality issues, and they have nothing to do with your ability to read good or not read good. It's a spirit that's coming against you, not wanting you to step into the authority that you hold in the earth and nobody else holds. And it is what's wrong. It's absolutely what's wrong with our world today. I am for exist to restore honor back to manhood by teaching men to live honorably before their Lord. And we have to stop it. But the problem is, is what you believe yourself to be, that's what causes you to act a certain way. 
So I grew up in Alabama. I grew up with a person called Papaw. Anybody? anybody I know up north, but anybody have a Papaw? I don't know if y'all call him grandfather. Y'all were more proper than us, but we had a Papaw. I went everywhere the, the guy went. He was super intelligent. And so one, one hot, hot, everybody say hot. Y'all don't have hot. I've been here, it's just not that hot. But y'all, what y'all do have is cold. Praise the God, like it's cold. Okay, we have heat. And I'm talking about, if you've never been to Alabama, when this, there's points it gets so hot, it's like a sheen of baby oil lands on you. It's just, we call it sticky. Anybody ever heard that? For, it's just sticky hot, sultry, whatever. Okay, so like it's like that day. It's just hot. And we're sitting on the back porch drinking sweet tea, praise God. And so coming down Papaw's janky driveway is an older Chevrolet truck. Everybody close their eyes, see an older, I'm talking like 70s model Chevrolet truck kind of dented up. It's making a, a rattle noise in the engine. And if you're not like a real man, you'll think it has like a cam in it. But if you're a real man, you know what these spark plug work? It's missing. You know, and there's this, he has cured every mosquito problem from the road up to the house. Okay, so I'm sitting on the porch. This truck is coming down the driveway, and this guy gets out. I'm, I'm like 10 sitting on the back porch. This guy gets out, and he has on overalls and no shirt. And he calls my, I don't know why, because not, we weren't related. He was just some guy, but he gets out, and he's, he says, um, he says, hey, Uncle Joe, and my papa, would like, without hesitation, goes, hey, what's troubling you, son? Like he knew something that nobody else knew what was going on. And the guy looks at papa and says, well, I went to jail again. And I'm 10, and I heard the word again. I'm, I'm just 10, and I'm like, I don't think again in jail is a good thing. So, so I'm, I'm like dialed into this story where this guy starts like telling these elaborate excuses, if I say excuses, why it's not his fault that he's gone to jail again. And my papa looks at him and he, he says a phrase that I love to help people with now. He just looks at the, the, the good old boy and says, well, stop. Is that not the most powerful saying? I've revolutionized your counseling, sir. Just look at somebody and go, stop. So he looks at it and says, well, stop. And the, guy, the guy's face looked like Papa had asked him to stop breathing. Because he was like, you mean quit drinking? <laughs> like he was all scared. And Papa said, well, that'd probably be a good idea. But what I mean is, is you need to stop hanging out with those guys you hang out with. Because every time you go out with them, you're the one that winds up going to jail. And the guy like puts his head down, sticks his hands in his pocket. Y'all just visualize overalls, no shirt. Yes, sir. You're right. Walks off the porch, gets back in his truck, and kills the rest of the mosquitoes in the county when he leaves. <laughs> and I, I just, I'm like shocked. And I, Papa looks at me. He says. You know, that's a good old boy, but he ain't got sense enough coming out of the rain. And I said, what do you, what do you mean, Papa? And Papa was so good at telling stories, he didn't answer the question. He said, you see that dog over there? I said, yes, sir. And I'm, if you've never been in the South, if it's an outside dog, how many of you know it's janky? 
Like, I need you to think about the worst junkyard flying around, part mange, just dog. He says, you see that dog over there? I was like, yes, sir. He said, do you know that when we first got that dog, it was clean, it didn't stink, it stayed in, your mamma treated that dog like a kid. He, she didn't feed it table scraps, she fed it table food, and it slept at the foot of our bed. And I'm looking at this dog going, well, what happened? <laughs> There's ain't nothing clean about, it's, you can't even pet it, it smells so bad, and if you did pet it, it'd bite you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm like, well, what happened? He said, well, I come home one day, and that dog pissed in the floor. And I told, my ma- I told your mamma, all right, that's a dog. Dogs go outside. That's going outside, and it's staying outside. And then he started to run with some other dogs. And before you know it, he started stinking. He got mange. He humped everything around. He, he would throw up and eat it. Hey, that's the weirdest thing about all dogs. You know, every dog you have will do that. I know some of you got like not real dogs, the little white things that your wife likes. Okay. But you let that thing throw up as clean and pretty as it looks, it's going back and it's going like it hocks it up and it walks away and it goes, goes right back to it. How do you know it's true? You don't have to grow up in the South and know that. That's just a real thing. And he said, there was a time in the life of that dog that it didn't know it was a dog. But once it started running with some mutts, it became useless. Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to his vomit, a fool repeats his foolishness. And somewhere along the way, man, somewhere along the way, and I'm closing we heard this phrase. Men are just dogs. Somewhere along the way, somebody said, you know what guys are? Men are just a bunch of dogs. And that mantra began to be the thing that men meditated on, thought about, believed, and had faith in. And before you know it, that's who we started acting like because it's what we believed that we were. Somewhere along the way, the enemy stole your birthright. Somewhere along the way, the enemy destroyed your perception of not who God is, but who you are. And therefore, you started acting like a dog. You hump everything you can find. All of your toys, you chew them up and you use them and you throw them away. You're mangy, you're nasty, and it's not who you are, it's who you believe you are. And at some point, somebody has to stand up and say, you're not a dog. You're a son of the living God, created in your Father's image to do good works that were prepared in advance for you to do. You have been set free to change the world, to raise up sons and healthy daughters that the world would not be in the chaos that it's in. So if nobody else in your life will ever tell you, I will tell you, stop. Raise up. Understand you've been bought with a price. You are not your own. Your wife deserves to have a prophet, priest, king, and warrior. Your children are begging for it. All of creation is groaning for it. 
The world is desperate for it. And the reason we're in the situation that we're in is because at some point we all believed we were just dogs. That's not who you are. It's not who you are. And I want us to have prayer time tonight that God would cut that ideology, that philosophy, that thinking out of you one time, once and for all that you would understand who you are, that you would understand whose you are. Let's not come and get hyped up and go home the same. Let's not come and, and have some sort of experience where all it was was just an experience. But let's not go home and just have quiet time. Let's go home and release the dynamite of heaven into our marriage, into our children, into our cities and our communities, that it would change. I love you enough to just tell you the truth. We're going to have a lot of fun this weekend. But with all my heart, I told Pastor Josh, if we don't deal with this here and now, they cannot receive what he has for them, what we have for you tomorrow, and what we have for you tomorrow night. Are you willing, are you willing to have it cut away? Are you willing for the Holy Spirit to circumcise that garbage out of your soul? To be reprogrammed. That you're not a Christian. You are a kingdom son. That ought to make you excited. You're not what America has identified you to be. Some square weirdo who dresses funny and put fish on your car. You are a kingdom son sent in the earth to do mighty things, to protect what is yours, to serve what is yours, to manage what is yours, and to wash everything under your influence with the word that it would be transformed. You will do greater things than Jesus ever did because that's what he said. The question is, is do you believe it? Stand to your feet all over this auditorium. I'm going to pray for you when I say amen. If Josh has people ready to pray for you, I want you to come and the band sing over you. And I do want you to have an experience, but I want it to be legit. I want as these prayer people lay hands on you to, for, for you to receive your brand new identity tonight. No more. Don't ever greet another man and say, what's up, dog? Take that out of your vocabulary because that's not who he is. The next time you greet a man, you say, what's up, son of God? What's up, man of God? I'm not the only man of God in the room. There are 200 men of God in this room created to do powerful things, to raise the dead, to heal people, to cause the blind to see, to cause the deaf to hear. That is your legacy. That is your right. The enemy has stolen it for far too long. Father, I speak life over every son of the living God in this room. Father, I thank you that on the cross and the resurrection, you took away our excuses and you provided us with the dynamite of heaven on the inside of us that we would raise up and live as the chosen sons of God that we are. There is no weapon formed against us that will prosper. But God, when the weapon is formed, you will use it to be good for us because you are our defender. You, God, say that your name is warrior. 
The Lord is His name. He is a warrior. You are the one who fight for us, who set us free, who empowered us, who gave us a new name. Father, I ask with all the faith that I have in me as men come to this altar that you would reveal to them their heavenly name. Let us realize that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. That we have the right to be called children of God. We have the right to be the answer in every problem. We have the right to cause marriages to be great. We have the right to lift up sons and daughters, to leave a legacy in the earth. We have the right to pray that the devil has no hold on us. God, you finished it from the resurrection. He has no authority in the earth. May we put under our standing that we have authority over him. He has no authority over us. I cancel out every curse that was ever spoken over every man in this room. God, if they ever heard that they were dumb, that they were not enough, that they had sexual identity problems, that they didn't understand who they were, God, I cancel those out in the name of Jesus, and I release sonship on them. God, that they would rule over the thing that wants to rule over them. May we step into our God-given authority tonight, our God-given identity tonight. May we know in a soul level who we are in the earth and whose we are in the earth. Father, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, blow in this place. Allow men to experience a circumcision of all the lies and the condemnation that the devil has thrown at them for 15, 25, and 40 years. That would be eradicated tonight and men would walk away transformed because they met with their king, their savior, their father, and their dynamite of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.